Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's I'm Amazing Radio. I am your host, Dr. Law. Happy New Year to you all. Happy 2021. With me as always, DJ Mark. What's up? Also with me, Kid Presentable. Happy New Year's, fellas. Happy New Year to you, too. Finally, also joining us this week, Lavender Gooms. Hey, guys. All right, boys and girls, another week, another week of no MMA. Uh, we're going to talk about some of our favorite things from the past year. You know, we're going to be somewhat organized a little bit of it, talking about our favorite fighters, events, you know, knockouts. But then we're just going to talk about stuff we like this year, stuff that uh, we enjoyed. And shit, maybe we'll talk about stuff, stuff we didn't enjoy because there's a few of those. Um, a little bit of news, if we remember to actually touch on, we'll talk about the booking of Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler. I saw that we saw that uh, Max Holloway's next fight is going to actually be on ABC in a week and a half here, um, which is a really big deal. If you are not from uh, the United States, that's a very large network here. And it's not just a large network. It is owned by Disney. Um, so we'll talk about that. Um, we'll do a little stuff we like. We're going to talk about Cobra Kai, I'm sure. We'll talk about, uh, well, I'm going to talk about uh, the fact that I finished Gotham, which I don't think a lot of people did that. Um, hey, but, did you even watch Harley Quinn, Bobby? I started watching it today. I watched. Okay, I, wa- right. I watched. I was like, "You're wasting your time watching Gotham." We Dude, I, I, I'm, Gotham. Only, I'm only halfway through Doom Patrol. I'm still watching that. <laughs> so you did all the shows. We're like, I don't know. You might like it, but we're all like, well, now, see, now, 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 I'll watch Harley Quinn. I was also watching. This is the thing. You watch Gotham, and then like it kind of like ends with like this is no surprise. There's no Batman in Gotham. I mean, there's Bruce Wayne, but he's not really Batman. But the show literally ends with like, "Hey, here's Batman." And then is, you're like, isn't there like a proto Batman in like the last season? Not really. I mean, he just pretty much is Batman in the last scene of the whole show. And I remember afterwards, I'm like, well, I should want me to watch some fucking Batman because I feel I've just gotten ready to watch Batman. By the way, Dark Knight Rises, people were too harsh on it. That was a really, really entertaining movie. Anyway, um, let's get into it. 2020 was the strangest year of being an MMA fan. Um, for obvious reasons, probably the strangest reason for really any industry in our lifetimes, um, obviously, with the COVID stuff, um, which is never ending because people don't act right. Um, we had a UFC hold an event in Brazil with no fans. And then that was it for a little bit. And then the UFC tried to circumvent all regulations and go to an Indian casino. They don't like to bring that up anymore. Well, they're, you know, jerking each other off about how well they did this past year. They tried to go to the Tai Chi, Pla- the tai Chi Palace, um, which, if I remember correctly, led to me and Mark just laughing for a few minutes on the podcast in general about the Tai Chi Palace just being their solution. Um, UFC was stopped by the governor of California and the CEO of Disney. Um, eventually seemed like they got their stuff together on some level in that they held events and tested people. And they had a very profitable year, despite cutting a whole bunch of people and more people cutting anyway. But let's talk about some of the good. Um, 
let's get into the one, honestly, guys, that I think is we're going to have different criteria than we did in recent years, and that's fighter of the year. Um, I'll just mention somebody who I think deserves it. Um, I think it's Kevin Holland. And it's a weird choice, I realize, for a guy who uh, didn't fight for a title or, you know, a lot of guy fights in the top 10 even. But in a year with a lot of variables and people having to make a lot of adjustments, this man fought five times and got pulled out of a number of fights, including one because he got COVID. Five fights. I want to say he got four finishes. Let me pull that up while we're talking here. Um, But, I mean, it's really the best example of stay ready, I'd say, Mark, um, was Kevin Holland, a man who wasn't really on anybody's radar. A uh, man from Riverside came in, went five and oh, went five and zero, oh, and that's just from May to December. So entirely Jesus. the COVID era, he went five and zero oh with four finishes, including finishes over uh, Jacare Souza and Joaquin Buckley, who I'm sure is going to come up shortly. So that's my guy. I mean, what do you guys think? You know, if you're fighter of the year. <laughs> no, I, mean, I think. Uh, I mean, for me, it is Figueroa, um, mm-hmm. but I think Kevin Holland. I, you can't dispute just the the number of fights he had in a year. Five fights in a year is extremely difficult. I remember when Barnett had, I think he did four in a year, and then he in his last fight he looked really bad because it was just it's so much wear and tear on the body. You have to add in the fact you know training has to be highly compromised, travels, everything's more difficult this year. So for him to do what he's done is miraculous, and it's it's absolutely worthy of nomination. Um, I mean, for me, I give it to Figueroa, kind of like what you talked about. Um. There's just more on the line, you know. If Kevin Holland lost one of these fights, it wouldn't have been a big deal, you know. I mean, for him, it, it would be the world, but for us as fans, it would just be, you know, this is a guy that's fairly unknown, kind of an up and comer, you know, dropping a fight, no big deal. You know, these were extremely impressive wins, and I think they even got more impressive throughout the year. Obviously, his win over uh, Souza was miraculous. You know, getting a knockout from the bottom with punches is unheard of. Um, for me, Figueroa just nudges him a little bit because. Not only did he capture a title, he, I mean, at least for me personally, he's revitalized a division, which had very little star power for me. Had I had very little interest. I think Henry, you know, definitely, I think, did a lot there because he was also getting finishes. But uh, Davison Figueroa is just like, yeah. he's, he's turned that division on its head as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So I do give him the nod, but I, I think right behind him personally is Kevin Holland. I think it's undeniable. Five fights in a year is just insane. To win them all is in seven and, and, and in seven months too. That's the impressive yeah, part here. Seven yeah, and I think it's, it, it. We saw this with the COVID uh, matchmaking. You know, some guys just got a lot of fights. You know, probably because they were already pre-tested or whatever the case may be. It seemed like there were some fighters that just got a shit ton of fights over and over again. You know, Bobby Green had a lot of fights. There's a lot of fighters that got the call often, and there's other guys that like we didn't see the whole year. Like you talk about Connor. He had the one fight and he was like, in the beginning of 2020, man, I was excited for Connor to come back full force in the UFC as much as I've been critical of him in the past. Uh, you know, I'm always excited to see him fight. And he fought one time. And I, a lot of it had to do with COVID, I think, because they couldn't get the audience. They couldn't get the revenue they, they need kind of for to pay him those big paychecks. But, you know, so it hurt some fighters. Some fighters got very few fights. Some fighters got a lot. Kevin Holland's one of those guys that kept yeah. getting the call because he kept winning, not taking a lot of damage. Um, and it was extremely impressive. You know, I don't think any fighter, any other fighter, will have that many fights in that short of stint, um, unless the UFC and them cutting really takes into practice of them like really notching down th- their roster, but still having as many events as they have. You know, maybe this becomes a more standardized practice. But I feel like 
there are special circumstances where he got so many opportunities and made the most of them. Yeah, those are those are my two guys. Honestly, those are the two you mentioned: Figueroa and Holland. Those were the two guys I was looking at the most. Mike, what did you think? I think those are two very good choices, uh, two very good nominees, and the reasons why you guys gave are very true. Um, there is a lot to be said for first fighting five times in a given year. That's an accomplishment in itself normally, but then also to win, um, you know, four or five times. I can't remember how many times Figueredo fought, but also to win four or five times in convincing in fashion. But I am actually going to go the other route. Um, someone who only fought twice this year, one of those performances wasn't really considered a great fight. But I think the second fight he had completely makes up for maybe what some could consider a lackluster performance in his first fight. I think it's just that he was fighting a goddamn monster and you got to be careful in those situations. But it's Israel Adesanya. Just for the simple fact that there was so much hype on Paulo Costa, justifiable hype at that, because the person who Adesanya had, you know, a boring fight against earlier in the year, Yoel Romero, Costa took care of uh, a lot quicker than Adesanya did, if I remember that correctly. And, you know, there was talk that Paulo Costa could be the one to dethrone Adesanya early in in his uh, title reign. And he looked the part. And whether it's that Paulo Costa just wasn't prepared for the fight, or it was, as I think it is, that Adesanya just is a goddamn sniper and got to him before he could even set up his game plan, he looked phenomenal in that fight. And he looked phenomenal in that fight against someone that a lot of people had thought he had a very good chance or outright thought could beat Adesanya. So for me, it's Israel Adesanya, just over the quality of that one win against Costa. Okay, Steph, what do you think? Um, Honestly, I really thought Mike and I were about to have the same pick because a lot of his setup and preamble kind of mirrors my choice. I'm fine with Holland. Um, You know, I get the volume. I get Figueredo. My con's against it. Holland's got a lot of names. I don't know who they are. They could be cans. They could be guys not worthy of being in the UFC. So the volume is good, but if they were recognizable across the board, that would do it. Figueredo, as exciting as he is, as much as the Moreno fight was a fight of the year contender, still don't care about the division. I just don't care about men that small. Um, It's a disrespect thing. I'm not a large human male myself, but in terms of what I seek out in watching, it's just not that compelling to me more often than not. Um... Is he fantastic? But uh, I got my dog squeaking in the background. That's just going to be a thing tonight. You know, new year, new toys for my uh, pup lump. But um, my guy was also a two-win fighter, two-fight in the year. Um, but he's a guy I'm riding for because he's a guy I've been riding for for a minute now, and he still doesn't get enough respect today. That's Jan Blockowitz. Um, light heavyweight is the premier division, you know, or at least once upon a time it was supposed to be. Uh, he beat Corey Anderson early in the year, and then he beat Dominic Reyes. And what was the narrative on Dominic Reyes? Is this man arguably beat John Jones? This is the man that made John Jones look like he's not there. John is even joking about it. This is the guy who chased him out of the division because John Jones is scared of the rematch. John Blockowitz is unexciting name. No one cares about him in the matchup. And what does he do? He absolutely handles Dominic Reyes. 
He looks devastating with his body kicks, with his body punches. And who is Izzy going to fight next? He's going to fight Jan Blockowitz. Jan Blockowitz is a guy who no one wants to pay attention to, but he refuses to like be left in the shadows. Like He keeps believing in himself, and it's working out for him. He's having the run of his career. So You kind of um, feel for the guy, too. You kind of he's not going to be a too, good for most guys, but like I said, he's he's just someone I've, I had my on, eye on for a minute, and he's really shining right now. So hopefully in 21, you know, if he shocks the world, and I'll, I I can be almost certain Izzy's going to come out as a pretty big betting favorite. He's going to have the hype. He's going to have the eyeballs. Yawn is going to be a guy everyone looks past. But if Yawn knocks out Izzy, like, holy shit, you know? Um, so he's primed him. He's primed himself for a, a gigantic 2021. So I would say his 2020 was pretty damn good. He also you got a feel for the guy because um, Poland actually supports MMA quite a bit, and he didn't get a he hasn't had a chance to, you know, do the big hometown title defense that all international fighters do when they become champion. You know what I mean? He hasn't had a chance to do that yet, and you know you got to hope that he maybe or got to wonder really if he's going to be the champion still. Does he train out of Poland? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I thought he might train in the States, but he's, I mean, he's talking about Polish power. So Because if he trains out of the United States, what I would assume he does, I think most people do at this point. What also sucks is that he probably hasn't really had his championship parade. He tra- No, he, I, he he's there because I remember him going to an airport and people losing their mind. That I remember. Oh. He does train in uh, Poland, I think, at least not in the States based on these gym names. Um, wow, we're all over the place. We got four different answers. I'm not sure we've ever had that before. Um, yeah, they have a four-sided coin. I have dice, but they're in the other room. <laughs> I mean, it was an interesting year, right? Why wouldn't this be the year for a little variety? I mean, not to disperge anyone's picks, but I do. I mean, what I think is interesting is Izzy and Jan are going to fight each other. And I think that makes, for one, a very compelling fight. But obviously, I think that makes 2021, whoever comes out of that fight, really shines um i mean for me it's just it's the volume of those two guys um and and like steph said with holland you can even take the names into factor not with so much with izzy i mean romero i think the problem with izzy is the romero fight was a clusterfuck i mean there's really no two doubts about it that was a bad fight um for both parties involved um his fight against uh, paul costa was the exact opposite it was fantastic with yawn i think the Corey anderson fight was extremely impressive Dominic Reyes was also a very impressive win uh, because of the narrative. But at this point, too, it could be one of those things where we see a prospect not live up to the hype that we had for him previously. You know, who knows? You know, the time will tell with that. You know, maybe Dominic Reyes comes out and he's a world beater and he's right there knocking on the door. You know, he's the next one to fight whoever wins against uh, Izzy and Jan. Uh, but otherwise, you know, not super active years. They both, you know, I, I think Jan had more impressive wins. You know, he got big knockouts. He, he knocked out Corey, right? I think it was in the first round too. Um, that was, yeah, that was that was very fast. If I remember, correctly. I mean, so those two, I think, I think, obviously deserve to be um, nominated. We also had um, Cosmat Chimavez. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, Cosmat, man. I mean, despite he, had, being... he had an impressive year, but it, it's just the resume. It, it's the scalps on the on the list. You know, he he's looked fantastic. He needs to get you know higher quality opponents and get wins over them to really get in the running. I feel so. You know, I'm okay giving it to Holland, but I, I also agree with Steph. Like when you look at the list on Holland's, he has two really impressive ones, and one of them's only really impressive because he also broke out this year, and that's Buckley, right? Before he beat Buckley, it was just two random guys we had. No, I mean, really, when you look at Holland's resume until Souza, it was a lot of guys we didn't really know, and it was mostly like, oh, I keep this. For me, it was like I I know this guy's name, 
because we pick fights every fucking week and I've seen this guy's name pop up like every month. So that's definitely how he got into my, uh, you know, narrative. But uh, and especially the, the Sousa fight was extremely impressive. But, you know, I don't know. So, I mean, yeah. it's really for those two. I mean, not to disparage Mike and Steph's picks because they're I think they're absolutely worthy. But I think what really hurts both of them is just, like not nearly as active as the other two guys. Yeah, I mean, it was a weird year, too. Like, I'm aware, but here we go. Let's talk about female fighter of the year. One of the That's champions. Your discussion. One of the, one of the champions. <laughs> one of the champions defended the belt twice. Every other champion defended it once. And that was Valentina, right? She did Valentina too? defended yeah. twice. She got wins over Jennifer Maya and um, Chukasian. Uh, Whaley Zhang had the one win over Joanna and Jacek in a fighter of the year candidate. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. Um, and Amanda, I think, just beat up Felicia Spencer. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was it. And it was a, a decision. So she wasn't really in the running for me. I got Valentina. She just got two defense. I, I have no other thing. I have nothing besides she got two defenses, man. I don't have anybody else in my head that won a bunch of fights that I can think of. Um, I know Megan Anderson did some good work this year. I don't know if she fought enough really to justify it. I'm trying to think anything of anybody outside of the champions. Um, There's really not that much. It's really, there wasn't some, I don't think they gave any female fighter that many fights this year because there's always not as many female fights anyway because it's a smaller roster in general um uh, people have improved it's just i got i'm just gonna go with valentina just because i she's a champion who defended the belt twice that's all i got i don't i can't tell you i have more than that steph what did you think um yeah it's it's a hard year on the women um i'll give it to Lee though um it was one fight it was a much bigger fight the one thing i can very much say about valentina and amanda's opponents None of them are compelling, you know? None of them really deserve to be there. Maya outperformed her, like, historically underdog betting line, but she still lost. Like, I wasn't excited to watch any of those fights. Whaley went against Joanna, you know? And Joanna has fallen off a bit, but she reigned heavy on that division for a minute. You know, there's a very credible threat there. It was a fight of the year candidate. And also just the historic of what it was her being the first Chinese champion. This is shortly after the whole COVID thing is going global. It's hitting the fan racism against Asian people is really high in the world in this moment as well. So um, it, it, it's, it's kind of the historical moment is what tips it in the favor. All other things equal. Um, you know, I wish Whaley could have come back and had another showing to kind of keep up that momentum. But um you know, being an Asian American uh, and just knowing a lots of accounts of a lot of anti-Chinese, anti-Asian period sentiment because most Americans can't tell the difference between any ethnicity anyways. Um, it was a really volatile time. So her to come out and have one of the performances of her lifetime, um, that was a that was a seminal moment to me anyways. So I give her that just for the, again, the historic moment in year we've been in. Mark, what'd you think? Yeah, this this is a tough one. You know, it's only two people you think it'd be a lot easier because it's the problem I've had with Valentina. You know, her entire career, and it's not really even a problem. It's she's she's completely dominant over that division, and I agree with Stefan. Like her fights just aren't compelling because there's no dance partner for me to I get mean, compelled in. And look at Valentina's a great dancer. She dances by herself after she wins. You know, but that is only compelling for so long. Showing someone's mastery when they don't get challenged is just not nearly as compelling. And I still feel like she has not. I mean, outside of Amanda Nunes, which those are the only fights she's lost. They're competitive, but they're they're competitive. She, they're not compelling. She beat up right? Joanna too. That was last year, I think, though. 
Was that last year? Uh, yeah, I, I believe I believe so because I think yeah. you said it was Maya and someone else. So I mean, that's the problem. Is and it, it, it sucks because I you shouldn't be handicapping somebody because they're just completely dominant in the field. But it does make it less com- compelling, and, and 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 that definitely hurts. But at the same time, she did have two fights, and and Wailing only had one. And you can also look at it and be like, and Wailing had a hard time in that fight. That was not an easy fight. That was a back and forth. Granted, a more compelling fight, but not nearly as you know dominant. So, should we give it to the fighter that was easily more dominant and had more fights, or do we give it to the fighter that had a much more compelling, you know, fun fight, but only fought once? Um, I don't know. I, I'm on the fence. I, I guess I'd give it to, to Valentina, um, but I'm, you know, it's just one of those things that it's not exciting. <laughs> you know, it's not fun. It's not something that it's just like it's just. Well, her it, working to Cajun was pretty fun. It was fast. But it was not close. Well, that's the thing is like <laughs> that fight. That fight in particular, I did not. I was not high on uh, Caitlin Kukajian. So it was I, very I, much. I, like, I ended up thinking Kukajian was better after that fight was over because she beat other people after. That I'm like, oh. yeah, I mean, she, she's <laughs> had a decent record, and she. It's not like she. It was completely undeserving of that title shot. But that there's fight, a, there's a I, giant gap between her and the rest of that division. Yeah. Just so I mean, is. that's that's really the thing is like you know you give it to Valentina because it's paint by numbers. She had more fights. She won. She's won all her fights. Um, versus Wailing, who you know had a much more difficult fight, but it was much more compelling. Um, and obviously, it made fight of the year. You know, and there's a fairly short list there as well. So you have to give her some credit there. But it's again, it's like what criteria are you basing it off? I mean, are we if we're talking about the most dominant fighter of the year in the women's division, you have to give it to Valentina. She had more title defenses, and you know they they weren't very close. And you even look at the the round Maya won, you know, it was because Valentina fucked up a takedown and she, you know, Maya got on top and she was able to control the rest of the round and, and that gave her the round. And that's not even, even then, the most compelling part of that fight when she lost a round was not super compelling. Because it was like, a, oops, you fucked that, up That on was the, the one where Joe and Rogan and the other announcers were trying to convince me that this was a, a, some sort of jeopardy. And I'm just like, this is not, I'm not, I I'm, this isn't close. What nothing's yeah. happening here. I mean, I guess I would give it to Valentina working off of the criteria of well, whatever. Honestly, the there's no criteria. It's whatever you no, it's, it's opinion based. Yeah. So I'm 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 picking Valentina paint by numbers, more fights, more title defenses, e- easier fights for her. Wailing had one tough fight and it was a fantastic fight, which we're gonna get into, but um so I guess I give it to Valentina. But like also at the same time, do we know who won last year's? I like to give it to a new person. If Wei Ling got it last year, then eh, we'll give it to Valentina. Because I feel like we probably screwed Valentina a couple of times because we know in Amanda Nunez, I've definitely, we've gotten her fight of the year. So I like to give it new blood if possible, but I just don't remember who we voted Let me for. tell you who well, who did it last uh, year. You see, you see, that that's, I mean, no disrespect, but. That's less compelling to not just giving to someone who hasn't gotten it. Yeah. <laughs> Spread the love. I, 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 I don't like that type of mindset. I Each gave it to year, I gave it to Valentina last year. As Mike gave it to Amanda Nunez, and the rest of you gave it to Whaley. There's only three people we talk about every year with this. Okay, guys, that's what it is. All right, that's where we're at with this thing. They're all still the champions. Each year needs to be its own contained universe. Okay, you can't think about the year before when you're grading this year and this year. So you looked at this whole year and said Israel Adesanya was your fighter of the year, huh? Just looking at this year. That was That's your right. contagion. Right. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> All right. right. And, and if we want to get real granular, just based off 25, not even 25 minutes, how long was he in that rig with, uh, with Casa? Like six? Like six minutes? We're just basing it on six minutes this year, baby. But in the case wait, of wait. Valentina... Well, what happened? What's no, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. All right, thank you. You're not basing it off the... At least to me, Fighter of the Year is not the most compelling story of the year. 
right? It is who was the most dominant fighter in that year. Wei Li had a fight of the night candidate, which we'll be talking about later. Yeah, Valentina gets hurt at this point because of her greatness. One reason why LeBron James only has like two MVPs because people just want to give it to different people. Um, he got like three. Doesn't make her fight. Doesn't make her fights boring. That I don't know how many he has. He has. He should have more. Does it make it boring that Valentina mercs all of her competition? Sure. I would but argue that, That's the <laughs> thing. She doesn't merc all of her opponents, and that's the argument against Valentina. She mercs one. She cruises to decisions on people she's significantly more talented she, at times. She cruises to decision because she can easily destroy them if she wants. Okay, she's in there getting work. Right, she, she's just in there getting a sweated. Okay. Yeah, but you don't you don't get paid by the minute in there. You get paid for the fight. Okay, one so second. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna defend this woman a little bit because she's got her last fight decision was Maya. Before that finish into uh, finish against Cucasian. Before that, Liz Carmouche, who I who was a decision. Before that, she kicked Jessica Eye's head into the fifth row. But she basically in her last six fights has got three finishes and three decisions. Which, Which opponent, Bobby, was less than a, a seven to one underdog? Probably. I don't think Liz was that big of an underdog because Liz had a win over her. Or, I don't know, Joanna probably? I don't know, she beat Joanna's ass for five rounds. Okay, we can't, we, this is literally Seth, just like, Seth, we, we, we have no rematch right here. Do you, want her, do you want her to treat all these people as if she's Cell and Bear Krillin, where it's just like a destruction for the beginning to end? Yeah, she does what she needs to do, and she does it very dominantly. Even if she does get some decisions, it's not because she's in any I mean, trouble. I'll it's argue, you know, yeah, I want finishes, dude. If, if, if it's Cell and Krillin every time, I don't want Cell just like, Look, okay. oh, I can play with guys. you all day. It's like, no, just, just kill Krillin already. I'm not here for a 12-episode arc. Guys, he's not throwing your, your, your full punch. This is, we just called it female fighter of the year for some of you that might mean female finisher of the year for other of you might meant best female fighter or of the year in terms of skill another one i might think is the most dominant fighter whatever reason you got mike you got is you, you got valentina i've got valentina sir okay mark did you already say i'm sorry we got uh, i said valentina too all right and steph got whaley moving on uh knockout of the year um we had some good ones. Look, I got this is real quick. Joaquin Buckley accidentally gave a guy a spinning kick to his dome, and they tipped over like a big tree slowly. Oh, someone yelled "timber" in the background. That was. was I'm not very, saying it was. It wasn't it about was purpose, very but that was Emmanuel Newton esque yeah. the way he fell over. Yeah, that was right there with Mike calling me to say he fell over like a big oak tree. <laughs> That's among the best things Mike's ever told me. This guy went down like that. Okay, that's that's my answer. I'm not sure the guy did it on purpose, but he did it. And it was cool as hell. And it was my favorite knockout of the year. Um, there was other cool ones in there. Garbrandt had a good one-hitter quitter. O'Malley smoked um, Eddie Wineland. Um, Biggie Boy got... Was that the second time Biggie Boy got knocked out by Nganu? Or was that the first time? I feel they fought before. Or my invention. It was this. both times, Bobby. It was both. Did they fight before? I, don't, I, I always. I don't know how, how many people oh, they really? made and gone to knock oh. out at this point. <laughs> um. Anyway, but yeah, for me, it's you know, I'm I'm going with I'm going with Buckley. You know, he got another win after that too. So that's why I got. It was the coolest knockout for me. That's what I'm looking at. That was some cool shit. It's like the year I gave it to uh, Yair when he hit the weird upward el uh, back elbow thing. I never seen that shit before. 
that's what I'm, I'm looking for video game stuff right and he hit some video I game think, kick on him yeah i agree i think this should be a pretty easy like unanimous one um kind of likening it to um when mosfetal knocked out ben Askren. you can look at the q rating of this knockout this shit was everywhere this was not just mma reddit this was sports world reddit this was people who don't follow the sport like did you see that crazy ass spinning kick like this was it set some record, right, about like viral clips or most viewed clips of the a most singular viewed. knockout yeah. or something. Like that was it was something like, like that. Yeah, it was like the most viewed ever. Yeah, so it's just like the Q rating of it. Um, so I think it's super easy, super flashy. I do want to give a shout out to the honorable mention. I don't think it was the knockout strike, but fucking Conor McGregor coming at Donald Cerrone with his shoulder, hit him, knocking, beating him. That was real cool. Just, that was real goal. I, I agree, Steph. I put that one on the list. I don't even remember how he finished the fight. All I remember is the shoulder strikes. Basically, won the fight for him. I think he got him with a high kick and a straight left. It was something like that. I mean, Honestly, it looked like, like it was really the shoulders. That is all. It I was remember. reminiscent of when Nate Diaz gave Donald the fingers, and Donald was just like, "Okay," and because yeah. that—that's what the he got that same level of ass kicking from Connor, just much faster. Yeah, um, Mike, what do you think, man? I'm assuming you're on the same page. Uh, I am on the same page. Joaquin Buckley, the Joaquin Buckley's opponent, did his best Undertaker impersonation. The way his eyes just rolled to the back of his head after that spinning back kick. Yeah, Marcus. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the only thing that kind of, it, it like you said, Bobby, it wasn't a strike. Like he's not going to be able to replicate that. It's not something I think he trained a lot. It was just a thing. It was happenstance in the moment. But and that, that's what makes it so special. Is it, it is something that we won't see. It is a very unique knockout. I think when we do these categories of specific knockouts and submissions, we're looking for the things that are unusual. Um, and we'll get that into the submissions as there's very few. But yeah, you're looking for the spectacular. You're looking for the highlight reel. You're looking for the guy falling over in comedic fashion. You know, that, that strike out everything. All right. So for submission of the year, this is always the hardest one to do, I think, because people pull off some weird stuff like in rant on a random Bellator show. Someone hits like a go-go plotter or something and none of us paid attention or anything. And oddly enough, I'm going with a Bellator move, Bellator uh, submission in this one because I saw it and I immediately sent it to the, to the rest of the guys here because I had never seen that shit before in my life. Um, which was Antonio McKee Jr. subbing, um, is, wait, did I mess up? It's AJ McKee. Why am I calling Antonio? I think it stands for Antonio McKee Jr., but AJ McKee, um, subbing, um, was Darian Caldwell, right? I think. Yeah. I believe so. Sure. Darian Caldwell, who's a hell of a fighter, got him with what they're calling a reverse half Nelson crank, but what the rest of us have just started calling the McKeatine. Because I had never seen it. I know I showed it to Mike. I think I showed it to Mike first. I'm like, Mike, look at this right now. Because we were already talking. And then Mike's just like, the fuck is that? And then we send it into the group chat. And, we have to be watching about 10 times. Yeah, I'm like, okay, let's you know put it in the group chat. And I figure Mark might have seen it. And Mark's like, ah, I've never seen that before either. Um, that was so cool to me. I like it when guys come up with new stuff. I mean, last year we had some cool stuff where like, and on the same card, Aljamain Sterling and somebody and uh, Matt and... Magomed Sharapov, I think it was. No, Zabit. That's his name, isn't it? Zabit Magomed Sharapov. Both Sterling and Zabit hit like uh, Subalov stretches like on guys in the same card. That was really cool. This year for me, that submission that AJ McKee hit, it's one of those things where like, you know, like this guy's got a lot of potential and him pulling off something like that was just really cool to see. So that's what I thought. Steph, what'd you think? 
Um, absolutely deserving. Um, you know, I usually do want to ride for the Bellator guys because I'm like, this is all you're ever going to win. You know, is our fake awards. Uh, there's not a lot of prestige in that company anymore, like there used to be. Um, I will go a different direction. I think you're apt in saying it. Um, because for me, if there's one thing I always chase in my fandom of MMA, it's truly singular greatness. It's why I get on board with every undefeated prospect who then eventually lets me down is because I'm chasing singular greatness. And the one fighter that I hit it out of the park with and never let me down was Khabib Nurmagomedov. Um, his, you can say he got a triangle, but it's the whole thing. It's why I like Ben Askren as a fighter. It's a unique singularity in their wrestling approach. It's the way that he just broke Gaethje's down at will. He broke his base. He rolled it over. It's just, it's more than the submission as the entire setup of it. Um, it was his wrestling prowess and mastery and a guy who knew it was coming, who spent his whole camp training for his takedown defense, his submission defense, his getting up, keeping it on the feet, and just how helpless he was. And that's the story of Hubby's whole career. And that being his final performance, um, dedicating it to his dad again, like, it's you, you can look at the moment in the singular, what is the physical act, but the stakes always matter to me. And just the whole picture of that, if that is Khabib's final performance and just the mastery of it, I'll fucking remember it for like, you know, my MMA remembering time until the Alzheimer's sets in, you know. Um, so uh, the un- there's definitely a uniqueness in the key. I would totally concede that. But just Khabib is so it's special to watch him. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Say Mike or Mark? Mike, sorry. Either way, I'll go. Um, I'm going to go with Habib over Gaethje as well. Um, all of the technical reasons, notwithstanding that Steph just mentioned, so I won't belabor that point. For me, it, I'm going to believe the legend from this fight that Daniel Cormier talked about, that he had heard that, you know, Gaethje would never, you know, tap even if it was a, uh, you know, like if it was a, a broken arm or anything like that. So, According to Daniel Cormier, the reason why Habib submitted him in the way he did and put him to sleep is because he didn't want to hurt Gage any more than he had to, you know, by locking in like an arm bar or something of that nature. So I'm going to believe that um, probably some naivete on my part that's going on here, but it makes for a better story to believe DC in this case. So with that being said, I, even though it's just a triangle choke, I think that should be f- sub of the year. Marcus, what do you think, man? Yeah, we're splitting it. Um, I'm with you, Bob. I always want to see the kooky, crazy shit. Um, as the only person that contributed to this one, I did a little research. I watched the best of UFC and Bellator submissions, and these are the two I could come up with. Because um, <laughs> there really wasn't. I mean, because mostly... Like I said, Bob, I'm looking for the kooky shit because, I mean, look, if you ever train like traditional jujitsu, there's a million different ways to lock up an arm, a leg, and choke somebody out. A lot of them don't really come into play when you're fighting MMA. You don't have a gi as, as, as handles and stuff like that, but there's a lot of unique submissions out there that you can potentially use to, to sub somebody. So anytime someone comes out with something new, I always find it exciting. Um, I mean, I, I agree with everything you guys said about Habib. You know, um, there was a masterclass in grappling um, and just complete dominance over someone who's very, you know, good at grappling himself. Um, the McKee submission, why I like it so much is not only just because it's unique, it's very simple. 
that is a that is a technique that I'm going to imagine we're going to see replicated a lot more because you look at other techniques that guys have, have you know that we we saw were very unique at times like calf slicers and mostly the twister. There's a lot of setup. There's a lot, of, especially with the twister. There's so many positions you have to get into to finish that. This is a a, a submission from bottom guard, which usually you're looking for triangles, kimuras, or arm bars. To have a choke, a crank, like the one we saw Anthony McGee uh, get on Caldwell, I think is is potentially very easy to replicate. It almost reminds me of like seeing the anaconda choke for the first time. It's just like, oh fuck, yeah, that's legitimate. That's a a technique that in a position you get into often. And it doesn't look like it requires. It doesn't look sorry, Mark. It doesn't look like he requires a, like an absurd amount of flexibility or something either. It looks like it's just a technique that is available to you, and someone actually it, applied. Yeah, it's like digging in an overhook. And I mean, they, look at the guy. The guy on top has to make some mistakes. Has put his hand on the ground. He has to duck his head under for you to, to kind of get that stuff. But those are things that that happen naturally within a fight. So I, I do give my my nod there because it is unique and something that I haven't seen replicated. And uh, I give it extra points not only because it's unique, because of the simplicity of it as well. And it's something that's just like, man, I can't believe all these years of, of watching people grapple, we've never seen someone attempt something like that and be successful. So yeah, I think I thought it was interesting. That's, and that's why I give it my nod. I mean, Habib's a masterclass. I mean, you look at a lot of his fights and just be like, yeah, this dude's the best fucking grappler there is. Um, and and this this triangle that he pulled on Gaethje was also spectacular. You know, he did it for Mount. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that Justin should have seen coming, like Oh shit! This guy's setting me up to for me to roll into the triangle. That is, that setup from mount into triangle was very tricky back when Anderson Silva lost to to Takase in Pride. But it's pretty standard now. Like that's something that you, it's one of those it's it's one of those classic jujitsu baits. Like you bait your opponent into thinking you're too high up. He's going to get on top, and, it, and you roll right into the triangle. Um, but he just fell for it, hook, line, and sinker, so you have to give him credit for that. But, yeah, kind of a light year. You know, uh, Dern, and there was one other woman fighter that got knee bars. There's a couple people that got, like, ankle ankle locks and stuff, which I think are – hey, I love leg locks. I think they're, they're tough to pull off. You know, we it's often, you know, a dying curse when someone goes for it, but they're just not special enough. So these are the only two that stood out. I'm giving it to McGee. Uh, <laughs> might, be a, might be a light year for subs this year, but uh, take you guys back to – to, to 93 93 i got put in a full nelson by this kid named antonio in the bathroom it's pretty rough well Just before to... after the swirlies mike <laughs> uh shout out to well, the uh, full nelson there is a pro wrestler named uh bobby lashley using it as his finisher and it's just ridiculous to see it be a pro wrestling finisher you mean the hurt lock? It... The, so the it's hurt called lock? the hurt lock but for two weeks it was called the full bobby and they need to go back to that because I was waiting for that to be a shirt to give to Bobby one day as a gift. But uh, you know, what, hurt lock fine. What made uh, what made that happen? What made that Phil Nelson uh, even more embarrassing was um, my friend at the time, Amitio, running into uh, our classroom afterwards, yelling to everyone. Michael got put in the in the crossface chicken wing. <laughs> Oh, he didn't even name it. The, look, man, there's no shame in getting caught in the crossways chicken wing. Bob Backlund won the world championship that way, okay? Well, please bear, Mike, I thought you were going to end that story. With. What made it more embarrassing was like, my pants were down on my ankles. Yeah, that's what I was going so, with this. No. But, yeah, I mean, it, you know, Full Nelson is is a legit painful move. They 
you cannot do it in amateur wrestling. It, it is a move that they do not allow you to do because it, it can you know really put a lot of strain on the neck. So and you can't do the chicken wing because that shit is just illegal. Because Bob Backlund won the world championship with it. It's too good, too good. He never let it go, Bobby. That was the yeah. thing. He would just yeah. keep screaming and he wouldn't <laughs> let go. Um, fight of the year. I'm not going to break down what, what happened in each of these fights. I'm just going to talk about some of these fights right now and just list them. And suffice to say, what I'm saying happened in all of them is that two people beat the crap out of each other. Um, Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno from a few weeks ago for the Flyweight Championship. Whaley Zhang, Yoana Yo- Jacek, um, which was, I think, was March, if I'm not mistaken, maybe, for the Strawweight Championship. Tony Ferguson and uh, Justin Gaethje, maybe a little bit more one-sided back in April, I believe, for the interim championship of the lightweight division. Um, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker, I cannot tell you when this happened exactly. It was just some good old-fashioned brawling in that one, though. And Vincente Luque, Nico Price, just a good old-fashioned barner burner, I believe, from the first half of the year. Um, This, for me, is a... You know what? I'm not going to go first, but I'll just say I have a two-horse race for this one that I'm still trying to go back and forth on. Mike, who do you got? <laughs> I believe it's probably going to be a two-horse race for all of us. Um, I am going to go with um, Whaley Jang versus Yoana Yunjaychuk. I'll no longer call her Yoana Weiner because, I mean, she she came out looking lumped up at the end of, at the end of that fight, and she went the full 25 minutes. I'm sure either everyone else is going to pick Figueredo or Moreno. Um, if they don't pick, I think the Wei Li Jang Yoana fight. I just thought that was a razor thin decision where both women gave it their all and all of us came out the better for that fight. Marcus, what do you think, man? It's really tough. Um, Mostly because I just haven't seen a lot of these fights since we watched them live. Um, and it's hard to remember the ebbs and flows, the, the highs and lows. Because um, Ferguson Gaethje does stick out to me. I, I do agree with you, Bobby. I mean, for, uh, I mean, Gaethje was kind of in control most of that fight. But it was just, it's the one that I was most compelled, I was most excited for. And that I thought, like, pretty much lived up to my expectations. The other ones were good. But it's just like, I can't, I'm, I'm mostly I remember... Joanna's face just being bust and the Figueroa fight I do remember pretty well because it, it happened so recently um, and I do like that fight because it ended in a draw which makes it kind of you know the stakes continue they obviously have a rematch um, and Poirier and Hooker was like it's one of those fights like I think if I watched all these again like that fight might be the best fight um, just because I think it was the closest contested where the guys were really just razor thin on just like beating the shit out of each other but it's one of those things like it's been such a long time since I watched that fight I can't remember accurately um, so I guess I'll give it to Joanna in Whaling. You know, um, it being a championship fight, uh, Joanna having to dig as deep as she did, um, I think gives her the edge. The Figueroa fight I thought was fantastic. Um, Gaethje and Ferguson was fun. Poirier and Hooker probably. Honestly, I think if I rewatched all these, I might pick that one. I just don't. Rem- all I remember is just like being super excited. But again, like it's just that thing. Like the, the names aren't quite there. Like it. it, it no disrespect to, to Dan Hooker. He absolutely should have more of my respect. He's obviously earned it. He's just, I don't know, he just hasn't really gotten on my radar super high. Um, I think that's going to change, I, I think, in his upcoming fight with uh, Chandler, which we'll talk about later. Um, you know, he yeah. wins that fight. He even looks good or competitive or, you know, I think that'll get a lot more points. But yeah, I'll go with Wayling and Joanna just because just I remember it just being such a, a drag out war. 
uh, and Joanna really having to dig deep. So I'll give her the nod there. But yeah, this is this is probably the one category I would have liked to had enough time to rewatch all the fights and really give a good, honest, you know, um, point of view on it. Because a lot of it's just like hazy 2020 memory. But yeah, we'll give it to Joanna and uh, Whaling. Stefan. Yeah, I'm right there. I'm, I'm going to make it three for three. You know, I kind of already rode for her earlier. Um, but, you know, outside of just the fight itself, there's a lot of good fights. There's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of slobber knocker action. So what always separates it for me is historical context. Again, you know, first Chinese champion, just where we were as a world in the moment of it. Um, and, you know, that lasting memory of Yoana's face, you know, uh, I can't tell you a thing about Haseem Rahman's boxing career, but I can tell you that's who I learned about the hematoma from uh, when he had a boulder on the side of his head. Like, there's things that just stick in your memory. Joanna's giant swollen face in a way that I didn't know it could possibly swell. Uh, you know, like, I make fun, but, you know, she had a good sense of humor about it, too. She kept us updated, but it was just a war between, yeah two really talented women in again a historical precedent for times and just like what the significant factors were and that lasting image so it'll be the one that years from now i'm gonna recall that fight all you have to do is say yolana's face and it'll come back but a lot of these other ones they will just fade into time unfortunately the ether of two guys who beat the shit out of each other you know um but you know all great fights all deserving for their own merits but uh way easier for me um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the flyweight championship fight. Um, the, you guys, it's, it's between these two fights for me, uh, which is the only one I went back and watched. Actually, was um, was because well, I I mean I well, I mean Davis and Figueroa and uh, Brandon Moreno was literally three weeks ago, so I didn't have to be reminded of that one. I went back and watched Wei Lee versus Joanna. Fucking awesome! Just an awesome, awesome fight. Um, both those fights really just made me happy to be an MMA fan is one of those fights but both of those fights made me it's one of those like you watch these fights sometimes and it reminds you why you put up with all the bullshit you do to be an MMA fan because there's a lot of bullshit quite frankly um and both of those fights people they just dug deep and Joanna wouldn't go away Wei Lee showed she wasn't going to give up that title and in the on the, on the men's side on the flyweight championship side I just came you just kept waiting for Figueroa to just run out of bullets you just kept waiting and he just didn't. And Moreno was there the whole time. And sure, we are like one point deduction away from it being um it not being a draw, quite frankly. Though it was an earned point deduction, if we're being honest with ourselves. I'm just going with that one because those fights both ended, and the one I want to see again is the one that uh you know was Figueroa and for and um Moreno. But they were both so good. Like it's, I think we're getting to the point we might want to separate best women and male best best fight of the year for men and women. Ideally, in a year where we don't have, we're so hamstrung by weird scheduling. Maybe next year we we'll do that. We break it. We separate it a little bit like that, you know? Because I mean, we are we already do best male and female fighter. If you know, either we fold it all into one period or we separate those two it things. On the year, right? If yeah. there's only one good female fight, it's like, well, we might as well throw them in with the rest of them and, you know, even playing field. But if there's a ton yeah. and we're like, people are getting screwed out of getting, you know, nominated or getting talked about, then I definitely feel like that's totally fair. Just depends, you know, if there's not that many, you know, standout women's fights, I don't know if we have to separate them. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see how the 20, uh, 2021 turns out. 
uh, event of the year. Mike, why don't you talk about the different events that were up for this? Yeah, sure. Uh, so nominated five different events. I will go through each of them very quickly. The first is UFC uh, 246, McGregor versus Cerrone. That was on here because uh, the main card had three subs and the main event was, uh, was a very good fight, um, McGregor and Cerrone. The second is the UFC on ESPN Poirier versus Hooker uh, fight. Had a lot of good back and forth fights and Poirier Hooker was a fight of the year candidate. Then we move on to UFC 250, Noons versus Spencer. Had a two KO of the year nominees for us along with the, the Noons beatdown of Spencer. Then we move on to the two UFC 254, Habib versus Gaethje. That whole card had nine finishes. I remember that one thinking, holy crap, like are any of these going to go to decision? And then finally, we rounded off with UFC 256, Figueredo versus Moreno. Obviously, that one has Bobby's pick for fight of the year. Um, but the whole main card was just filled with, uh, with a lot of great fights. And uh, Cub Swanson, if I remember, had a pretty good performance in the uh, feature freedom. Um, I'm going with the most recent one. Recently biased be damned. I had a really good time watching the Ferguson Moreno card, obviously. I picked it up my fight of the year on there. And um, Figueroa Moreno. What did I say? Figueroa Moreno card. Um, the Ferguson fight... That was a big part of it too, just showing how tough that man was. But that that whole card was great. That was that's my pick for card of the year. I'll go next. Um, for me, it's really up to two fifty four and two fifty six. Um, I think the other cards were were good, um, but there's definitely some downside to both of them. Um, and looking over them again, I'm still clicking back and forth. I think I might go with two fifty four. Um, I feel like a lot of it has to do with, you know, I, I think an event is really carried, obviously, a lot by its main event. And finally getting Habib with the actual title against someone that legitimately was a number one contender um, and having that fight come to fruition and play out, I think, carries a lot of weight. The rest of the card doesn't seem as strong. I mean, like Mike mentioned, there's a lot of finishes, which which makes it, you know, what made it a very easy viewing process but it was really, you know, I feel like for me, an event, and, and this is, you know, maybe not the most fair thing, because I, I do think an event that's more well-rounded is a lot more enjoyable. But there is something about having a main event that is so long in the making. And it's not like we, we were talking about Habib and, and Justin for, forever. It was mostly Habib and Tony. But that quickly changed once Justin beat Tony. Um, and this was the fight to make. And, you know, especially it, you know, potentially being Habib's last fight, I think makes it a little extra special, you know. Um, and then somebody, you know, uh, Alexander Volkanov being Walt Harris was was an interesting fight. Lauren Murphy getting a win there. Um, you know, you got on the card. There's not a lot of names, but I'm, I think I'm putting a lot of emphasis on that fight and how much I liked that fight, even though it wasn't very short. It, I mean, it wasn't very long. It wasn't extremely competitive. It was just something I was so excited to see. And it was just a fun fight to watch. And, you know, maybe, you know, I, I know other years I've said, you know, main event can't, you know, carry a whole thing. And and this one doesn't, you know, Whitaker was there too. But, yeah, I'm going to give it to 254. But I think 256 was the other one I was closely contending with. Stefan, what do you think? 
Um, I'm gonna echo uh, Mark with 254, um, and I think we're honestly forgetting one of the great subplots of the year 2020 in MMA, and that's finally getting the resolution of the rematch no one asked for, and that's Magomed Ankalev versus Ion Kutalaba, which was postponed like six times due to COVID this year, and it was like, wait, what happened in the first fight? Oh, that guy like beat the shit out of that guy? Why are they rematching? Eight positive tests later, Ian Kutalaba gets knocked out at the end of the round one to once again certify, like, oh, yeah, we didn't need that rematch. But it was just so fun to finally have resolution on that fight because um, if there was a poster child for COVID postponements, this fight was it because we kind of kept pushing it in our picks for, like, three months there. And then it finally resolved. Uh, Mark gave a lot of real reasons, but that's the little uh, footnote on this card that um, we're really forgetting was kind of a recurring story. That's the thing that pushed it over the edge for you, which was a good point. That, that was one of the fights I saw and I just like couldn't remember, but like, yeah, those guys would post to fight each other five times and it's all just because Kuda Libra, whatever, like in the first fight he faked he was really hurt and he wasn't and the referee stopped it and he was like, well, dude, you did a kind of stupid thing there. You faked too good. You, you faked the referee out. And then we, we finally got to see the resolution, which was like, he was yeah, one of our early positive tests that we had in this whole process of them getting things going and then they're like we'll move it two weeks later how about two weeks oh he still has covid and it's like how about two weeks from then he still has covid like maybe we give it a little time and wait for him to come clear before we book it at all but um yeah it's just you know it's such a microcosm of what the year was you know um so it's just one of those things that kind of make it memorable mike we are going to be splitting this one. I'm going to be going with USC 256 as well. If this had happened back in 2013, 2014, where, you know, I would, uh, you know, park myself in front of my computer at like 4.30, 5 o'clock, watch the Facebook prelims, then watch the UFC Fight Pass prelims, then watch whatever, you know, Fox Sports prelims or then the main card. I would be really stoked. Oh my God, there were nine finishes in this particular card. And that would have probably put it over the edge for me. But at this point in my life, I'm just trying to get through, you know, from the main card to the main event. And most nights, as you guys will know, I don't even make it to the main event. So what I really care about are the car are the fights I have to pay for. So it's going to be things that are specifically in the main card, and that's what put it over the edge from between 254 and 256. I think that's fair, Mike. I think when I look at all these cards you nominated, I don't think I really watched any of the prelims for any of them, except I do remember Roxanne beating uh, Macy Barber. <laughs> but like the other ones, I was like, yeah, I think I can skip the prelims on that one and that one but and that one. The watched, but the reason why we watched that one is because we love Roxy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we normally do way more awards, you know, moment of the year, story of the year, yada, yada, yada. At this point, we just talk about some of the stuff that we thought was notable, you know, good or bad of the year. Um, UFC putting on all these events and printing money, honestly, while everybody was starved for attention, starved for entertainment on TV, that was a big deal. They found a way to make it work. Despite, you know, them acting like they were going to do the right thing at any, at a, uh, no matter what, they obviously weren't. They were kind of forced to put in some real protocols in place. Um, I feel we were all sold the false bill of goods on Fight Island, quite frankly, about what that was going to be. Um, 
Agreed. Could have been way more fun. But you, you guys uh, really thought that they were going to have a fight on that beach. <laughs> just, I still want it. Really thought there's, 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 an octagon, there's an octagon right on the beach. All right. They have the there's, equipment there. They're selling they merch. They don't need a crowd. There's no they're crowd. Selling, they're there's selling really merch. no reason why they should. <laughs> yeah. There's, don't act like it's outside. We can't Mine's, do it. It's too hot. Yes, they made people fight outside already. <laughs> I mean, yes. You want to you fight decided by pocket sand. You know? The, uh, if they could fit an octagon in a parking lot right now, considering it's not like they have to you know, pay for any tickets or anything, they could have it there. They could have it on the beach. Just yeah, saying. I think it's a bad lost opportunity. Yeah, I forget um, what that was even called, but back when I used to have Access TV, that was the one thing I enjoyed was random small MMA promotion of the week where it's like, here's an octagon in the middle of a baseball diamond. <laughs> it's like, here's it in the center of a mall. Like, just MMA everywhere, baby. That's right. That's what Pluto TV is for now. That's what I watch my random my random fights at, the random Pluto channels. Um, yeah, and I think the uh, we're going to hear more about the UFC lawsuit this year. Just... We're I was going to mention that too. That's one of the things. Some of the things I like the most about this year were like anti UFC. It was one that lawsuit getting ground and then like the the judge basically like yeah you kind of fucked him. We're, your punishment is coming, buddy. Um, I think it's a long time overdue. And for me personally, having some of this downtime, you know, when they're they're figuring out COVID stuff, you know, it it revitalized my love for combat sports a little bit more just because the machine is just pumping out so many events just to have a break for a couple months kind of made me like look elsewhere um and this year i realized like oh k1's still a fucking thing like it's not what it used to be it's all just it's it is a japanese promotion but like i really got into the k1 youtube channel because every event they have the next day they just they have a video that's just called knockdown it's every knockdown that happened in the event so it's like cool a two-hour event you, you cut it down to 12 minutes it's all the best parts i'm sold um, I learned about Mark, a lot. You, you, got, you got to get on Pluto, man. Pluto got a whole glory and a whole I mean, I K1 do. channel. I, 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 and I, and I, I, know, I know they have a glory channel and they have an MMA channel that has a lot of 1FC on it. But <laughs> it's just there's something I – glory's fine and good. Um, but there's just something about K1. I, I, I've just been a K1 fan my whole life. And, you know, even though they don't have the stars, they don't even have – you know, I don't think they go past like super welterweight anymore because they just don't have the talent anymore. But there's just something about Japanese MMA and, and kickboxing that I just – like more than the european style that that glory has um which i would also recommend um this past week uh ryzen kept up the new year's eve tradition of having an event and again heavily neutered from the things we're used to from uh, pride and dream having these mega events at the end of the year but what i really liked was you know i wanted to see those fights i was like shit you know can i find them on mma core did someone you know illegally host them on youtube because it's on you know it's japanese television like they're not really copyrights not super strong on youtube but fucking ryzen has their own youtube channel they post all that shit like three hours after it happened and i watched most of the fights through there so i was like fuck now you know and i really like ryzen i super miss that rule set i just love having knees on the ground having kicks on the ground it just opens up the sport so much and the theatrics are there too you know they have a big ramp you know the, the crowd is so much less than it used to be but and, and the star power is definitely waning the fights are fucking weird gomi was in a boxing match minoa man got tko'd in the first round due to the calf kicks you know it's not it's not the the super bowl event that it used to be but i just love that rule set and it's nice knowing that you know rising k1 the shit's just on the youtube channel you know it's super easy to find look at i it's hard to find because it's all in japanese and i can't read any of it 
but it's nice to know like I could find I could scratch that itch going there. So that's definitely one thing that I kind of lean back into uh, this year. And also just, you know, I think watching a lot of combat sports on YouTube, I've seen a lot of old boxing matches. There's giant swaths of, you know, the generational boxing uh, stars and fights. I just never saw some catching up on that stuff. So having having a little bit of a break from the UFC machine, you know, allowed me to dip toes into other venues and really been enjoying my time watching that stuff. Stefan. Uh, what's the question at this point? Sorry. Just, only, just anything notable or MMA related, you know, is the, of the year in 2020 you want to bring up? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess Mark kind of summed it up in terms of a lot of the negative stuff. For me, honestly, unfortunately, it went the other way. Um, if there was a year I thought I might walk away from the sport for good, this was it. Um, you know, there was just a year to refocus on things. Um, and it's what we've come away. And it's why Mark has shot in Freud for things like the lawsuit and kind of the UFC, the, you know, chickens coming home to roost, getting your comeuppance and all those things is COVID revealed just how scumbaggy everyone is, you know, Dana White versus the media, the fighters getting suckered into the MMA versus the media, like the fighters who are being constantly exploited are in a lawsuit because they're exploited. Somehow a bunch of the dumbass ones got like, well, Dana's the only one who's letting us work. You know, it was just such an ugly year across the board. And MMA was just a microcosm of the ugliness of society. Um, you know, this sport so attracts a lot of right wing morons. And I did enjoy reading about how many of them complain about socialism and then got PPP loans for their failing gyms. Yeah, there's, there's there's just a lot of hypocrisy. It's been a very, very ugly year. I wish I could find the better moments there. There were good fights, to be sure. There weren't a lot of great moments for me. Um, so it was, it was just a really tough year in that regard. I, I know that's not really a glowing anything, but that's the story of the year, right? You can't really shy from it. You can't really escape from it. Um, it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. You know, uh, a lot of new blood rose, right? We had a lot of first-time champions, a lot of new champions. If you look at who is running all the divisions now versus where we were this time a year ago, it's... We've completely flushed out the old guard, it seems almost right, for one reason or another, whether it was retirement or attrition. But um, in that in that regard, you know, the sport's in a very healthy place, right? You that's that's how every sport needs. You need new stars to come and help usher out and shoo away the old guard um, to sustain the longevity. So they're definitely in a good place there. You know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where we go. Um it wasn't there for 2020, but the one thing that can really save MMA in 2021, you know what I'm talking about. That's Khabib versus GSP. That's all that's left. That is that is the end game, baby. That is the end of the MCU. That is the end of the UFC cinematic universe. Khabib versus GSP. This is the end game we all need. That right. That is not going to happen, Steph. If you follow GSP on Instagram, this man has retirement hair all written all over his head. Okay. You're there. <laughs> exactly. That's how you know this man is never gonna fight again. GSP with the fact hair. That he actually spends time. The fact he actually spends time on like pomade and like a hairdresser. <laughs> no, I really want to see how he's a man. That's that's so I can't imagine it. So it's gelled back, it's slicked up. Uh, sometimes it's parted very nicely to, to the side with like a little like almost like a swoosh. It looks it looks very nice. If I had a, <laughs> I, if I had I, hair, I, would, uh, I, 
I did a swoosh when I was in middle school and put the LA looks super strong hold in there so that my hair did not move all day long. Oh man, that uh, hair that the hair gel you went on that was just rock hard. Well they had like, if you felt they had like levels of maximum and I was always like the highest level yeah. maximum yeah. hold. It was basically I that. fucking glue. <laughs> so. Where like if you like if you like bumped your head on something, you're like it felt like something broke. You're like, oh ouch. And my hair cracked that was a my helmet. <laughs> <laughs> you got like an injury from that. <laughs> Mike, you didn't have that? Huh? You didn't have that problem when you were a kid? <laughs> My hair was always super hold. Okay. Oh. Keep moving. It could be oh. Gale Force Wins. My hair is staying exactly the same. Even when I had an afro. Um, my moment for uh 2020 MMA related. It's based off of what you guys are talking about. Um, idiot right wing MMA fighters. Um, but in this case, it's the joy that the idiot right-wing MMA fighter has brought me in the form of the greatest Twitter account that has oh, yes. ever been created, Borachinha Ipo. Mm -hmm. This man is on a he is on a one-man mission to just chronicle the idiocy of one Team Punishment CEO, Tito Ortiz. Yeah, the man, the, the leader of Triple JJJ LLC. Again, Tito named his company Triple JJJ, which implies nine J's. That's it's not Triple J, it's Triple JJJ. Mm, <laughs> okay, that's the name of his company. <laughs> nine J's. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Boracinha uh, was much watch. That, much I, 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 tr I truly. I truly do um, cherish that um, that Twitter account, but honestly, look, Dana White he deserves a lot of the um, you know derision that he gets, and for better for worse, whatever his nefarious reasons were for why he was you know pushing through, you know like a week or two after the uh, you know the full extent of the uh, of the pandemic started for fights, I mean. Whether he was being a visionary or not, or maybe he was just being a bullheaded ass, which I'm pretty sure was the second option. None of us thought we were going to be in all of this this long back in, in March or April. And he did help in, in his own way and bumbling through and having the president of, I think it was Disney and ESPN and the governor of California say, nah, bro, you're not hosting events like in Tachi Palace or whatever. He did help with putting through a you know a rough blueprint for how other major sports were gonna follow um, and then most of them whether, the only one who followed it was the nba <laughs> other other ways to do it right or ways to do less and do it wrong he did help give us that and considering that the way things are going that you know operation warp speed was supposed to promise 10 million vaccinations at the end of 2020 they didn't even get to five um the estimates that where you know able-bodied 20, 30-year-olds like ourselves will be able to get a vaccine by April, that shit ain't happening, right? So the normal we had February 2020 and before, that shit ain't coming back until at least June or July, I would think. So that means we're going to have this same type of shit that we got to deal with with sports for at least another six, seven months. And... The bumbling that he did, especially at the beginning, has helped us get to this point with 
the NFL, with baseball when it comes back in a few months, with uh, the NBA. The NBA probably took what Dana White did and put that shit on all the steroids based on what they did in the bubble um, previously. And I would say, I, I don't say this very often, I would give Dana White credit for pushing through, probably stupidly at the time, but accidentally it helped us get us where we basically. Yes. Basically. Yes. Well, I mean, let's face it. it. Penicillin was created by accident. You know, someone left some shit out in a petri dish one day and was like, "Oh shit, we could use this mold." Um, and since we're just talking about stuff we like, I mean, this is. Let me just gonna expand a little beyond MMA here a little bit. The, the twenty twenty year wrap year uh, wrap wrap up here. A lot of things gave us entertainment, and not and it wasn't out of the goodness of their heart. You know, they all need it. We're, we're trying to run businesses and get paid and all that stuff. But, hey, man, all these people put on a bunch of shows with no crowds, you know, and it's their jobs, too. They got to make an income. But we're all sitting at home with something to watch, actually. So that was that was nice. Um, some quick hit with the news. Um, Mackenzie Dern and Nina Ansaroff is going to happen um, in looks like March or April, I believe I saw. Which, um, quick turnaround for Miss Ansaroff. I believe she just became a mother in the last couple of months. Um, Nikenzie Dern's actually, what, 2-0 and o since coming back from having a child. So, see how that goes. Um, I think they finally booked Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson recently. That's going to be happening in the first quarter of this year. Michael Chandler and um, Dan Hooker. Looked like they were trying to get Michael Chandler and uh, Tony Ferguson together. Didn't really work out. I like the Dan Hooker fight, Steph, just because we've got two action fighters and Dan Hooker deserves it. And it's a good bend, it's a good measuring stick to see where Michael Chandler is really at right now. Yeah, it's a good litmus test for everyone. Um, Hooker kind of coming off of the Poirier thing, he needs a breakthrough fight, you know, and, and Chandler, it's a winnable fight for him in the sense you're not throwing him immediately into the real title contender. But Hooker is more than a gatekeeper, so it, it's kind of oddly a perfect gauge for both of them, I'd say. Um, and Max Holloway is going to fight on Disney on, on on ABC, and I think it's really a sign, Mark, that uh, this might be the result of a need for live content. But ESPN, Disney, they're on board, man, with this UFC thing. I mean, I wonder if they think if they wish they didn't just buy the sport. For the money they're paying with TV rights, because I mean, that was that was a conversation apparently they were having. Bobby, if they're smart, they're seeing this lawsuit and being like, you know what, we might have another opportunity here soon. It's not like WME's, you know, doing great anyways. So, uh, but yeah, no, this is you know, it's not completely uncharted territory. You know, they have had they have had cards on Fox, which is also you know like one of those broadcast networks. Um, but you know, a couple years ago, it, it seemed like the ABC Corporation wanted very little to do with mixed martial arts and, and combat sports in general, especially on their biggest platform, you know, their, their nationally broadcast uh, channel. So it's the first time on ABC. Um, Bob, what was Strike Force on? Was that ABC CBS. too? That was what? CBS. That was CBS. That was CBS. Right? So th uh, is this going to be the first ABC? I think this is the first ABC because UFC was on Fox. I want to say somebody was on NBC. Wasn't it like a World Series? Wasn't that? I want to say World Series threw Justin Gaethje on there one time. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's a big step. You know, it's not completely uncharted territory. You know that they have had, you know, been on these big channels like Fox before. But you know, being on ABC, 
um, is kind of a little bit different of a game because I think they're a little bit more guarded with what they show and what they will expose their audiences to. So obviously, you know, like we talked about, this was a big year for the UFC. You know, hurdles aside, um, there's a rabid fan base or just people interested in watching anything live sport related because there's such a, a lack of it throughout this year that, you know, I think UFC had a good opportunity to get in people's good graces. Um, you know, obviously, I think having a lot of their stuff tied to their ESPN app when Disney Plus did a bundle with that and Hulu, I'm sure all these things kind of factored into getting new eyeballs or more eyeballs onto the UFC product. And, you know, the Disney execs seeing that like it's doing pretty well, you know, maybe putting it on our big channel on a primetime slot might do some good for us, you know? So, um, yeah, it's interesting. That's silver lining. I think the stuff Mike mentioned too, with just the UFC in general, you know, it's, it's just a double-edged sword where I think we, I know I'm very grateful that they pushed ahead and were able to do these events as safely as they, as they have been able to now. It also look like a bunch of people got COVID. So it's not like it's been, you know, you can say like, Oh, well, it's not like any of these events were like super spreaders, but it's like, well, having these fighters travel, you know, there's just, there's so many nuances to it. It's hardest to give it the, 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 the full stamp of approval, but um, you do have to give them some credit for doing what they did. And obviously it's worked out well for their business. Um, I think the numbers have proven that, you know, that they've definitely had some cards that weren't that stellar on paper, but still, you know, exceeded, you know, pay-per-view buys and expectations there. So yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how things go on ABC. Hopefully we don't get any big uh, brawls like we got when Strike Force was on NBC or whatever it was, or, you know, it doesn't look like Diaz is on the card. So maybe the cursing will be to a minimum, but whenever you have a live sport event, you don't really know what's going to happen. That That's half the fun of it. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that stuff uh, pans out. Yeah, um, let's do stuff we like and call it a day. Uh, Marcus, what do you have this week? Yeah, I actually got some good stuff. Um, last week, we all talked about how we watched Wonder Woman, so we all have HBO Max. Someone call it Plus for a second. Um, so I've been checking that out. You know, I haven't had HBO for a good long while. So there's a couple shows that I've heard about previously, and there was one that I just heard about um, randomly. I was watching a, a stream, and someone mentioned, like, oh, did you catch that? new Nathan Fielder show. And I was like, uh, Nathan Fielder is the guy that did Nathan for you. Me and Steph were huge fans of that show. I love that show. It's easily one of my favorite Comedy Central shows. Um, I love Nathan Fielder. I think he has a unique comedic voice. So when I heard he's doing a new show, I was fucking on board. So um, his show is on HBO Max. It's called How To... I think the guy's name's with John Wilson. It's something with a J, Wilson. Um and what I really like about this show, it definitely has the Nathan Fielder weird kind of dry sense of humor, weird interviews on the street. But what really makes this show fascinating, and I don't know, and I'm interested to if, if Mike would give it a watch and see if it resonates with him. Most of the show, basically the concept of the show is they have one topic. The first episode is like how to do small talk. And most of the show is this guy, John Wilson's, candid footage of people on the streets of new york and he's basically doing narration and so much of the comedy is just what this guy's saying versus what he's showing you and how that makes it funny and i've luckily i've been lucky enough to go to new york and just realize like that city just has a life of its own and you just see the weirdest kookiest shit there and this guy's just capturing the weirdest stuff. And then the way he just matches it with, with whatever he's talking about is just fucking hilarious. And he just gets some of the weirdest footage, but it's just like, that's just New York, man. And, and Mike, one of the episodes that I really liked, because, you know, being, having visited there 
one of his episodes is just on scaffolding. And he's like, New York, you're scaffolding everywhere, everywhere you go. And he's even talking about like, I went on vacation and I went to the airport and I was watching a movie and the movie had fucking scaffolding. He talks about like, Jackie Chan doesn't have one movie where he doesn't have a fight scene in scaffolding. And it makes sense. There's a lot of things to jump off of. And, and then he shows like the movie in the airport's uh, Spider-Verse in the very beginning where he's in the dome, there's a shit ton of scaffolding he's going through. So I really enjoyed that show. Some point, Mark. I dropped off my brother in, in the Heights uh, about two weeks ago and i dropped him off and i hadn't been around his place in about a year but i swear at least the last five years his building has had scaffolding in front of it yeah and i asked him again i was like yo that scaffolding is still there and he's giving me the same reason why the scaffolding is up for five years oh yeah they're fixing the bricks on the uh on the apartment in the show they go into it basically you know a couple decades ago, some student got hit with a brick that fell off a building. So now they have to do inspections every so many years. But they also talked about like some of these scaffolding units have been up for 20 years. Like this one kid's like, I grew up my whole life. There's been scaffolding here. You know, we used to play hide and seek on it. It's just a big part of their life. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention about that show, which I really liked, is it's a short season. It's only six episodes. They really don't have anything to do with one of another. Really, there's no overarching storyline until the last episode. And what I think is so fascinating watching any show, this was a 2020 show, I believe, especially a reality-based show where he's getting candid footage. Just like, when in COVID is this happening? Right? Because now it's just like, no one's wearing masks, so it can't be recent. And his last episode is right when COVID hits. And he does a really good job wrapping up all of the other episodes into how, like, COVID's kind of changed all that stuff. And I thought it was a, I was telling Steph when I was watching it, like halfway through the first episode, I was like, I don't know if I'm sold. I'm liking it, but I don't know if it's completely won me over. By the end of the season, completely won over. Just love that show, How To on HBO Max. Um, the other show that I, I got mentioned to me uh, a couple years ago that I was thumb, thumbing through and I was like, okay, there's a show called High Maintenance. I don't know if you guys heard about it. It's, I think it used to be like a vice show on YouTube and then it, it was like a web series and now HBO picked it up and they've done four seasons of it. And again, yeah, yeah. I love this show. You, you've seen it. Okay. And I mean, and, and HBO, like all their shows were fucking in New York. Um, so it's basically about a, a weed courier in New York. And the stories are really just about the weird clientele that he meets up with. You basically get a little slice of their life and then you get to, you know, he kind of barges in and he's just like this cool, happy go lucky guy that gives his little nugget of nugget of wisdom and kind of pieces out. But um, I watched all the web series episodes when I think there's 20 and they're super short, like six, seven minutes at the most. I thought those were really compelling. And then I was like, you know, what? let's, let's check out the show. Let's see what HBO adapted from this. And I think I've watched four episodes of that and I've really enjoyed it. And there's three more seasons and you know, I haven't even finished the first uh, season of that. So I really enjoyed that show stuff. Have you seen it before? Yeah. I think what makes those interesting, cause they're just like little slice of life vignettes, right? about just the various people he encounters kind of doing his courier job. So some of them are really sad. Some of them are really lighthearted and silly. So it's kind of a grab bag. Did you see the one with Hannibal Burris? Yeah, yeah. And he's playing himself. I, th- I thought that's a really good one. I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and just spoil this one because there's a, a bunch of them. But Hannibal Burris, it kind of starts out with him doing a comedy show. And then there's a gunman at the comedy club. And there's a whole scare. It's panicked. And how then the whole episode kind of just tracks how he's not comfortable anymore. Uh, he's not comfortable doing shows. He's not comfortable doing it, going in public. So he's just kind of smoking weed. He's kind of falling out of it. But like at the culmination, he finally is able to tweet out that dick joke and he realizes he's going to be okay. 
you know. So it's just total slices of life, big nets. But uh, yeah, it's a really, really fun series. Um, that one I had come highly recommended by my brother and sister a little while ago, so they had always wanted me to check it out. But um, yeah, they're they're super short, right? Like you said, um, a lot of them are just like ten minute, like little slice of life yeah. things. So you and- can really digest them at your own pace. I would recommend watching. They have the web series and the actual TV show on HBO Max. I watched the web series first. I thought those were fun because it is, you know, you can dip your toe in, watch an episode or two, and if it doesn't click with you, you know, move on. Um, It's not a huge investment. And if you're like me, you end up watching all those little vignettes and you're like, oh, let's check out the show. And the show's actually really good too. So, yeah, there's a couple things I checked out on HBO Max I really enjoyed, and maybe you will too. Steph? Uh, nothing, you know, super new in terms of content. Um, just kind of going. Are we talking thing. Cobra Kai? Um, I, I, I well, I'll, I'll segue into that because just a couple small things, you know, uh, this past weekend we did our, it's an amazing secret Santa plus Drew, you know, um, it's a little small tradition, you know, we go, I kind of mentioned to the fellas, you know, as we get older, you still have your family trans, tr- you know, Christmas and all that. But also, as you get older, you kind of have to start making your own traditions. So this is just the second year of it. You know, we started it last year. Um, I was really happy to see that we kept it going. You know, we expanded out with one extra friend, uh, you know, no harm. Um, And then kind of another thing we got to do as a group this year, uh, it was the conclusion of our fantasy football league. And why is it stuff I like? Because I was the front runner pretty much from start to finish. Uh, you know, it, it, it can seem a little shenanigan-y because uh, I made this league, but, you know, at the same time, it's not my fault that I was the best team manager and had the best draft, uh, you know, and I had six rookies on my team who all happened to have historic rookie seasons. But uh, I digress, you know. Uh, I hadn't done fantasy football in quite a few years, and when, you're, when you don't gamble on sports, it's really easy to stop watching a sport entirely. <laughs> Um, I got really disconnected from the NFL the last few years. It didn't help, obviously, that the 49ers got bad and there was all the kind of scapegoating of Colin Kaepernick, who's a very beloved figure here and in my circle of people. So uh, that was just a tough look for the NFL all around. But it was a fun year. It was a wonky COVID year, as we talked about with all sports. Um, So, yeah, I won that shit. My sole loss on the season uh, came in week six against last place finisher Michael Sanchez. You know, so, though he was last in the league, you know, he had his Super Bowl against me. He's the only one who uh, made this god bleed. So um, it was just fun. Uh, I, you know, I have no idea if we're going to continue doing it, but if it was a one year thing, I was happy. You know, it kept us connected with people. I, I don't get to talk, I don't really, you know, talk to Phil as much. Um, Mike, you know, we have the podcast, but it, all these things that are just excuses for us to kind of stay interacted with each other. My old roommate, Courtney, got to talk to a lot of you guys more because um, you know, we didn't really hang out. I think we talk a fair about outside of the podcast. We trade anime and all of that shit all the time. Come on. why you got? I'm, I'm talking about like we're expanding it. You know, some of the other people like Courtney kind of got added. She's a person that some of you kind of knew tangentially because she was my roommate, you know. But um, like I said, it's just a bridge for various things. Um, and it was fun. And yeah, if you want to get to the main du jour, I watched that shit in one day. Uh, part of secret Santa was Mark gave me, uh, some special brownies that his wife made. And boy, was he not kidding when he said, eat a small piece. Cause I ate like what could only be considered like the crusty edge of a piece and not oh, all corners of one edge. I ate what probably mathematically would be one sixteenth of it. And Holy cow. Next thing I knew, I had finished the entire season. 
of uh, Cobra Kai in one sitting, and it was 4.30 a.m., but um, that's not to say I enjoyed all of it. Uh, you, We tried to talk about it a little bit earlier. I'll, I'll pass it off because I've been getting a little long-winded now, but uh, that season really required me to have knowledge about the Karate Kid sequels that I did not, but I had fun going through with it, right? Like, I'm on board, you know? I, I can... I can accept these premises as much as it's unfamiliar to me, but um, just only getting more ridiculous, but you know, they're leaning into it. Mark, I think the first thing you said was you like how the townspeople don't seem to get what the obsession with karate is in the Valley. And I, I get, I like that. There's the call out of that. You know, it is these characters are taking it seriously. The whole there, world there, isn't taking it seriously. I never had a show where I've had so many people tell me they're going to watch it. Like when a new season came out, but also every single one of them pretty much say, I love how stupid this is. Like, they just are all on board with the nonsense. And it's like they lean into it entirely, sure. But like, it's it's just a fun time, man. The show's a fun time. If, if this was real life, if this was real life, and a bunch of and three men in their mid-50s, if the main point of conflict and the biggest thing in their lives where what some teenagers are doing with their karate gangs those would be those would be three really sad men okay none of them would be married none of them would be able to pick up any chicks like these would just be three losers i still think mike you're my idea for another season where a kid moves her from brazil hi okay hi they're like uh we have a ryan and he goes no, 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 no. a hyen hyen obrigado <laughs> and they and all these kids try to do some karate on him, and all of a sudden this dude is snatching necks and hitting flying arm bars, and all of a sudden they go back to Danielson and Johnny and uh, whatever the name of Cobra Kai guy I is. I mean, um, we kind of got it because we brought back the Asian bully guy, and he was oh, a wrestler, and he just yeah. comes in <laughs> with the, the double leg little fireman carry into the anaconda roll, and I'm like, oh shit, these kids don't know grappling. I'm telling you, <laughs> season. Season four of Cobra Kai, Hyen shows up and is hitting flying triangles on these kids. Like, All right? No one is safe. They've already introduced a third karate gang, right? Or, okay, school. A third school. These are fucking gangs. But they've already introduced a third school. Fourth school, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> Grace, Gracie Barra Valley is now joining the tournament. <laughs> no strikes. All right? <laughs> Just submissions. It's a fun show, man. Mark, what do you think? I thought it was a fun show. It's just, you know, another fun season. No, I, I've thoroughly been enjoying the show. Um, I mean, I, I think for me, some of the things that are kind of getting tiresome is just like how a lot of how how a lot of these scenes play out with okay, these these two people on a rocky relationship, right? Like things gotta go smoothly if this is not gonna turn into some fight. And then one of them always goes over the edge and says something they shouldn't. And the other one always overreacts. And it's just like a lot of scenes. There's a familiarity to like, like, oh, why? You know, I feel like part of the season is like finally like the two main actors like coming together to be like, oh, we have to work together. Like, this is stupid because we are 50 year old men and we're still having dojo fights and stuff. Um, and I think a lot of the comedy comes from, you know, the, the show being self-aware and, and pointing at itself and being like, look, this is stupid. And I did it in the last season when the wife was like, oh, yeah, these two. Yeah, my husband, and this guy have warring dojo gems. So let's sit down. Um, you know, that was one of my favorite lines. And this one, you know, in the opening, having the newscast being like all these karate fights. And like, people are like, what the hell is going on? The karate died in the 80s. Um, it being self-aware, I think, leads it to having this like oversaturated drama kind of work. It's 
it's over dramatic. It's also grounded at the same time. Uh, for the most part, most of the characters' motivations kind of make sense and they line up with their actions. Um, and it just kind of works. Uh, but I, I feel like after three seasons, a lot of these scenes were just like, we have to keep this conflict going. So when this guy meets his son, he's got to say something to piss him off. And then, then the son has to overreact. So the, the, the tension continues to build. And it's just like, okay, at this point, it's getting a little tiresome. But it's just it's just so much fun. You know, it is, it is a very easy show just to be like, okay, if you start nitpicking it, I mean, you can obviously find flaws and, and not have a good time. But if you just go with the flow, you're going to have a good time. You I, just realize you're not rooting for any of the kids. You're rooting against them all. I mean, I, right? I, honestly, I'm not like I, I like most of the kids because because the show does a good job showing you like why why they feel the way they feel. Right? It's it, most of the time it's justified. Um, sometimes it's over dramatic, but it's always grounded in some kind of realism. Like, okay, I know why this guy's mad because this guy did X, Y, and Z, and even though Y happened, it for me it just it makes sense and it and it works. Um, I think that. Part of the thing I didn't like about this season was it did feel like a filler season. Um, maybe it is watching too much anime, which I don't even watch that much. Mike and Stefan are the anime guys. But like having a tournament arc hang <laughs> in the wings and not happen in a season seems really deflating. It's just like at the end of the season, I was just like, well, well shit. Now I know what doesn't happen this season. Thanks. Yeah, Mark, my mic's not done. Well, Mike, let me tell you, you're like two episodes away. The, the tournament's not even fucking in sight. Like they, they hint at it, but it's that's true. Close. I, I, when the season ended, I'm like, well, we're done. Well, yeah, and that's, <laughs> I'm like, and that's How kind it? of. I think like it's, and this is one of the things the shows do well is like you do end up binging them, you know. And it's just at the end of it, I was just like, I want more. Because, like, the thing that you're kind of teasing the whole thing, like, just didn't happen. Like, it still just hasn't happened yet. So it's like, okay. And sorry sorry to spoil for you, Mike, but, you know, I'll, I'll rip off that Band-Aid now. There's no tournament in this one. So it is just a lot of, like, these kids getting, figuring it out, getting to that point. But it's just like, when you have the goal and, and you don't get to the goal in the season, it's like, oh, I have to wait another, what, six, seven months before the next season, you know, tape. And who knows now, you know, tapes and airs, you know, it's going to be a while. But I still enjoy the show. Um, quite a bit so yeah it's it's all good mark um you did spoil it but eh, i'm okay with it i will say cobra kai is a thing i like this week as well but with a caveat look man i don't agree with you all of these kids are fucking horrible all right they're all idiots just like their idiot goddamn parents all right they are here's the look one i love there's one hero this show uh the dead mr miyagi or the wife, the no, wife, the wife. Mister Marav Machio's wife is the most reasonable person on this whole fucking show, man. Okay. Maybe she steps in it in this season, which I didn't like. When she goes, she had to in it a little bit. Yeah, like and that, she had to. But that was the thing, Bobby. Like she was the the character that was like, okay, she's the real character. She's the real person in all of this. That's pointing out like the how, like, just how stupid everything is. But then she, when she like confronts the coach and slap and gets yeah. gets involved, it's just like. No, you're in it. Like you're supposed to be the she, one she, person. She tried to, man. That's just like I, I know, but that that is one of the things in the show where it's kind of like, oh shit. Now, now everyone's in it. Like you, I like having that one person that's on the outside of being like, this is dumb, and tells the characters what's what you're fighting about is so trivial and stupid that it, it shouldn't even be happening to have that one character get kind of wrapped up it, into it. Just like, oh man, like now. Do you know what I don't like? Have, we still do have that one character, the uh, the bratty son. The, the son that got one scene and it was like is that even the same kid because he lost 50 pounds <laughs> look yeah i what i don't what i don't like is that all like this karate tournament was supposed to be such a fucking the one that machio won back in the 80s 
was such a big fucking deal that this guy's just got a whole fucking line of dealerships based on him being the baddest fucking dude around with his tournament winning, okay? However, that same thing that gave him that much fame, not one person remembers the asshole coach on the other side with his basic child abuse that was going on. Instead, he's just a Vietnam vet that they all honor. I'm like, what? That was the, how you remember half the story. All right. How was this guy not just ostracized? You know what I do when like over? is like that dude's cast. He got his ass kicked in the parking lot. But that dude's casting's <laughs> fucking fantastic. Like that dude just reads like big macho asshole karate dojo. Like when he's he got, came back, he, I was like, you know a- they casted that dude perfectly in the eighties. He just embodies that role so well. And even as well, he's in a commercial doing man, it too. He still kind of does it. And it, yeah. he's in a commercial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and there's. They a they get into things. his backstory. I don't know if that's a spoiler. If you got into that, Mike, and that that didn't really work for me too because it doesn't really make sense with the it. Character. Didn't justify any of this for me. It really didn't justify his character, but it was like, all right, you're really just like all these other kids that you're shitting on all the time. It doesn't make your arc make any more sense. It makes, if anything, it should be sympathetic. Exactly. So, exactly. He no, has no empathy, and you think your path would give him. I want to step in because I bridge on in between on a lot of the sentiments you guys expressed. Um, most of the kids are annoying, but pretty forgettable. I.e. people who give Daniel's son a hard time for being such a tertiary character. Like, who cares? The little spoiled mm. fat kid, he lost weight. Let's let's all cheer mm. him. You know, like, let's say he doesn't do that much. Most of the kids are annoying, but ultimately fine, except for Robbie. Robbie is a little shithole son. Always <laughs> sucks. I don't care about his hard life. I, I don't. I don't care about his uh, not there mom. Like I, I just don't care about it. him getting his ass kicked repeatedly. And Julie, I'm fine with it. Them being friends because he didn't snitch. I'm like that's stupid shit. I didn't need that whole s- sequence. Um, but uh, I will say I kind of like the crease backstory because maybe it's the brownie. It took me a long time to realize what that was. I was just like, <laughs> okay, so we're just keep doing this like movie that i kept thinking it was like it's like that there was an office episode in the later seasons where there's like a movie within the show that they're watching that had like jack black i thought it was like oh so this is just a movie in the show that's basically doing all the karate kid beats like that's cool and i was like i didn't connect with me until he fucking enlisted that i'm like oh this is john crease's backstory because it's shot totally different and i get it's retro but again i enjoyed it just because i thought it was silly and corny and campy um in a way, I think it hits up the show well. It's over the top, and that's what does work for me. It shows you why he's the justifiable asshole that he is, that he never really turns back, that he is truly a scumbag, that he has deep-seated scars that don't get fixed. A lot of people come home from the war damaged beyond repair. But at the same time, with the kind of self-awareness of the show, how he applies that insanity is not proportional. How the coming war and how there's always an enemy and he turns that into teaching kids karate. That's the disproportional part. Like who he is and why his like nature is like as not fit for society as it is. That fits to me. And then, yeah, then the self-awareness of he does not apply it in any credible way. The real way that someone would do that is forming a militia with people stockpiling guns and uh, thinking they're going to overthrow a Yeah. That's the real world application. But this guy took all that craziness and is like, I'm going to teach kids to start fights and plant snakes in people's houses. Like, that's that's really what his uh, mischief takes him with it. I don't understand who the two, um, the the Machio's daughter and then the tough girl with the claws or whatever, spikes. 
I'm not clear on who they're fighting over at times. Is it the kid in Juvie? Is it? They're not fighting Miguel. over anyone, Bobby. They're fighting over each other about how this rich bitch won't let this girl live. That's what it comes down That's to. Right. That's right. But I thought it was the day Cushy caught him. I don't know, man. For a while, it was like, it doesn't matter who it is, Bobby. Whoever it is, the rich girl is taking it. You got to understand teenage karate women, Bobby. They might be the worst two after Robbie. Mohawk guy is terrible. My last thought on this is I think the prevailing sentiment in the first, second, and the third season is, oh, no, there's been a misunderstanding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always it. It's always. Like, I mean, I mean everybody, everybody, everybody could get in a room together. And we could knock out this whole show in about twelve minutes of talking. Like, guys, yeah. let's just sort this out. Okay, calm down, calm down. Here's some tea. Let's just talk this through. We're good. Oh shit, show's over. I mean, just the yeah. amount of heel and face turns. You know, like going into next season, there's gonna be at least two more flips, right? They're gonna they're gonna do a little triangle switcheroo of what side they're all on again, at least twice more before the show. I I did enjoy that when Jody was revealing the name of his uh his new school, when he was talking about like uh you know what could kill a cobra, I thought the same exact thing that that nerd king thought. Oh, mongoose. <laughs> Yeah, we all went to public school. That's the whole thing they taught us about how to kick down a snake. Mongoose, that's the answer. <laughs> um, Mike, you got anything Eagle besides our Cobra Kai talk? Eagles, Eagles don't have fags. Shut up. That was great. The kid, the kid who plays Miguel looks like he's 27 years old. I just want to point that out. Oh, he could oh not be, now that you <laughs> said that, a thing I have, a big wag of the finger dislike. I let the season kind of keep rolling. There is a after like Netflix special that's hosted by David Spade of all people who's interviewing these kids. Fucking Miguel shows up with a quite terrible beard. He's got the he's got the turtleneck sweater with a chain over the sweater and the leather jacket over the the sweater with a visible gold chain and pendant. I'm like, I don't know who's styling you, Miguel. Like you just need to stop it. It's a lonely it's island. Shout out, man. Let me wear my chain and my turtleneck sweater. That's what he was. That's what the shout outs for. It's rough. It's rough, Miguel. Miguel, you do better. Um, Mike, you got anything else? Just so you know, uh, the kid who plays Miguel is nineteen, so he's probably the youngest one on the show. Machio's daughter looks like so she's there like you thirteen. Go. <laughs> she, she's actually, I think, like twenty-five. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, you got anything else, um, Mike, for I this have- week? I have nothing else this week. Okay. Um, real quick, if you're watching, looking for another weird, stupid show, Gotham's up there. Um, if you like Batman, man, it's something to watch. It's interesting. I'm pretty sure anybody who takes the comic seriously is offended by the weird twists that happen on that show. Like, where everybody's all over the place compared to the actual character. Um, I'm watching. I'm almost done with Doom Patrol Season 1. I lined that show up in terms of quality right there with Umbrella Academy and uh, The Boys in that I'm enjoying myself, but I note that this is not great at times. Um, All I know is Mark's right, Bobby. We, all three of us said, hard recommend Harley Quinn. I'm going to try Doom Crystal and Gotham first. I'm going to put two things in front of the show you're all recommending. I started Harley Quinn today. I will watch Harley Quinn next. All right. Um, the other thing was, um, we talked about, uh, Brody Lee's passing last week. They put on, AEW put on possibly, not possibly, is the best I've ever seen. 
It's the best memorial show I've ever seen. Um, which is sad that there's a there's enough of them that you can actually in your head think of them in terms of wrestling. But there's been a lot. Um, everything they did, like they had the Dark Order in every match, which was Brody's faction. The whole card, a lot of it was booked like the way his son, Brody Jr., whose kid's, the kid's name is actually Brody Jr. Um, what, like his favorite wrestlers, like his favorite wrestlers are like uh, Cody Rhodes and Preston Vance. And uh, who was the third member of that team? Was it Darby? No, it was Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy. And that was just a random three-man team they had wrestle, you know, because that was the kid's favorite. And, like, they had his son get involved and hit the bad guy with a kendo stick. And um, they gave the kid the belt and told him, you know, this is your belt. You are the champion forever. You know, we're never going to give this belt to anybody else. And it was just a real emotional night. Um, what really got me was um, Brody's former tag team partner in the WWE formerly known as um, Eric Rowand, now known as Eric Redbeard, just showed up in the middle of it and, you know, kicked the shit out of Wardlow and then was in tears, you know, hugging the Dark Order and stuff. And that's when I lost it, quite frankly. I didn't see that coming at all. That was great. Like, really emotional moment. Um, And then there's a really nice moment from Being the Elite that if you watch that show, you you should in general, if you're a wrestling fan. It's a good YouTube show, but... In the first couple minutes, they had like a little montage of like the memorial show and they had Eddie Kingston kind of giving like a pep talk to everybody backstage about like how important this night is and how we'll never forget Brody and, you know, he'll always be there with us. And it was a really nice, it was a really nice speech about, you know, remembering people while they're still there and telling them how much you care about them and stuff. So it was, uh, that was a really special night on Wednesday. I thought they did a really good job, and it was nice to see all the WWE wrestlers telling everybody to watch AEW because it's a it's a tribute show. Everybody kind of put down their fake bullshit, you know, feud between organizations. It's really just between the organizations, not the wrestlers, because you can tell, you know, it's a brotherhood. They always call each other the brothers, right? Even the female wrestlers, they're all brothers, you know, they're all good brothers, and they love this guy. And it was, you know, them all sharing stories was really nice. And I just enjoyed, uh, I'm, enjoy- I'm really enjoying Big E's Twitter feed and all the stories he's telling about his friend. And um, his has been really, inter- his has been really nice to hear about how much, you know, how much he meant to him and, you know, how the impact this guy left behind. So that Wednesday show was really nice. Um, that's really it. We're going to be back next week. Um, I, I, you know, we're going to talk about MMA next week, actually. Right, Marcus? We've got a show to preview. Um, we have a, We might have a couple, I think. Next week, like so I don't know how it's working. I think there's three and there's three in like a week and a half. We're gonna probably just talk about the first one because I think it's just on Saturday. Um, not clear what time, but is the Max Holloway, um, Calvin Cater card, um, which will be on Disney and has got you know it's got Joaquin Buckley on it, it's got Ponzinibbio on it. Good lord, this is thin. This is what they're putting on ABC. I, I, okay, they got to work on this, man. Unless Li Jin Yang is a guy that they're really trying to push in 2021, they got to put some stars on this card, you know, get people to watch it. Um, anyway, um, hope you all had a happy new year. Um, let's all try to be, let's all try to do better this year, huh? Yeah. With everything. Let's just try to do better. Where there's, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? There's a vaccine. There's two of them. Hell, there's more than two of them. It's just act right for five, six more months. So anyway, I was Dr. Law. That was Kid Presentable. 
And that was Lavender Gooms. Um, thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, peace out.